Hello everyone, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. We're now going to take up the second part of Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is concerning the circumstances surrounding the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Starting with verse 18, Matthew says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does betrothed mean? That's something that's alien to our modern Western culture. Betrothed meant you were living apart but legally engaged to be married. So legally engaged, in fact, that if you wanted to become unbetrothed, you had to go through a legal divorce proceeding. There was no sex during this betrothal period. The, the man and the woman lived apart. This is exactly the opposite of the way it is today. People live together without the benefit of any legal uh, enforcement, and yet they have sex. So it's exactly the back, uh, exactly backwards. Now, before they came together, that means before they had sex, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to show you why this was an exceedingly embarrassing situation for both Joseph and Mary. And I'm going to set that up by showing you what betrothal meant to a Jew. It's something that we really can't understand too well. A betrothal was so serious to Jews that it was like the man and woman, the betrothed man and the betrothed woman were actually called a man and a wife. In fact, we can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 through 24. Moses says this, If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged, that means betrothed, to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death. Now, what that means is is that the girl who voluntarily had sex with a man who she was not engaged to, who she, who she was not engaged to, she was guilty just like an adulteress was guilty because she basically had committed adultery. The girl shall be put to death because she did not cry out in the city that so she wasn't raped. That's a different situation when a rape situation. This situation was with a girl who voluntarily had sex with somebody that she was not betrothed to. And the man is put to, get to death because he has violated his neighbor's wife. So the espoused woman was called a wife, even though she, in our terminology, she would not be a wife. And also we see this as we drop down uh, in the next verse, verse 19, and we go to verse 24. We see that Joseph and Mary are called husband and wife, even though they were not married yet. So betrothal was an extremely serious, serious situation. Now, this... The, they were found to be with child. Mary was found to be with child. How? Well, there's several options as to how Jesus, Joseph knew. Uh, Mary had gone down when she conceived Jesus. She had stayed with Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, down in Judea for about three months and came back. So she might have gotten large enough to where Joseph could see her stomach swell and Mary could see her stomach swell. Or it could be that just Mary missed her period and told Joseph. I think the most probable reason is that, that Mary had told Joseph, what Gabriel had told Mary, remember the angel Gabriel came, Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 31, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, sh and you shall name him Jesus. So, I mean, I think Joseph uh, knew, that's probably how Joseph knew that she was pregnant. But now the next question is, is did Joseph believe her when she said, husband, or not husband, but uh, betrothed? <laughs> I've just had a vision with an angel, said I was going to bear the Messiah, and I'm going to get pregnant even though I haven't had sex with anybody. Now, you know, that's hard to believe. That's hard for anybody to believe. 
Joseph could very well have been entertaining the thought, my darling Mary has been catting around with somebody, and she has had sex with somebody else and gotten herself pregnant. And here I am engaged to her, and she's got a bastard child, and here I am engaged to a woman like that. Maybe I might want to get out of this situation. So you see what a terrible situation they were in. Well, before we go into that some more, let's talk about uh, in this verse it says the child was found to be, Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, the fact that the Holy Spirit is said to be the father of the child shows that it's extremely important because it shows that Jesus did not inherit original sin, sin that originated in Adam and passed down through father to son to son to son to son until it gets to us. If Joseph had been the father of Jesus, Jesus would not have been a sinless Savior. And for someone to save us from our sins, as we know theologically, he had to be sinless. So the Holy Spirit is the Father, not Joseph. And so that's extremely important for Orthodox Christian doctrine. It also shows that the Holy Spirit is a living, conscious person. He intentionally said, I am going to impregnate Mary with the Messiah who will save the world from its sins. This is not just an accident. It was a part of God's divine plan, which he foreordained from the foundation of time. It also shows that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person from the Son, because the Holy Spirit is a person, and the child, Jesus, was a person, and we know that God is three persons in one. So there's a lot of theology in that little word. All right, let's go on down to, let's, let's return to talking about uh, Joseph's situation. He's got a pregnant wife, a pregnant fiancé, if you will, and we don't know whether he believed Mary or not, if Mary told him about what Gabriel had said. So let's try to speculate as to what's inside of uh, Joseph's mind. He might have said, okay, we do know that he wants to put her away, okay? From reading the scripture here, he, he did want to put Mary away. He contemplated how he could do it. But did he want to put her away because he was angry with her? Or did he want to put her away because he was trying to save her from the shame? Or did he want to put her away because he was trying to save him from the shame? I, In my humble opinion, I believe that Joseph knew Mary enough to know her character that she would not be having sex with another man. And for her to tell such an incredible story about Gabriel appearing to him, it might have been incredible, but I believe Mary had credibility. I believe Joseph believed her. But nevertheless, even though he knew that she was carrying the Messiah around, he still had to deal with the fact that people are going to talk. They're going to ruin her reputation. They're going to slut shame her. They're going to say she was a terrible woman who betrayed her betrothal vows, her marriage vows. So anyway, Joseph has got to decide. Now, Joseph had several options here. He could have accused her of adultery before the gate in the judicial system, but that would have been horrible. That would have totally destroyed Mary's reputation. Plus, if she'd have lost the trial, she would have been executed. So he didn't want to do that. He was a kind man. He's not going to do that. So his choice is, do I give her a certificate of divorce, as Moses allowed in Exodus 24? Do I give her a certificate of divorce and send her away privately so that nobody knows what happened? Or do I stay with her? That's what he's banging around in his mind. He's not sure. So I'm sure Joseph feared this situation. He takes Mary over to eat with friends and relatives, and they find out she's pregnant. They say, hey, Joseph, how did your wife get pregnant? And Joseph says, oh, an angel appeared to her and said she was going to bear the Messiah and that she was going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, not by a human being, not by a man. Now, what are people going to say to that? They're going to, they're going to say, uh, call 911, get the straight jackets, send him to the loony bin. He's crazy. 
That's what he was facing. But nonetheless, he kept her. Now, he had to have some encouragement from an angel to really convince him to keep her, but, but uh, because he was in a bad, bad spot. And I don't think we appreciate, and the modern readers appreciate, what a bad spot he was in. And as it turns out, you know, even later, Jews to this day slander him. They say that he got Mary pregnant. That he was, that, and that Jesus was a bastard child. The rabbis say that about the Lord of the universe, that he was a bastard. It's pretty bad slander, pretty bad libel. Okay, let me give you a quote from John Gill to kind of summarize the situation. Gill says this, quote, Her situation was the most distressing and humiliating that can be conceived. Nothing but the fullest consciousness of her own integrity and the strongest confidence in God could have supported her in such trying circumstances where her reputation, her honor, and her life were at stake. Notice, her life. That's because the punishment under the law for adultery was death. So, bad situation. Go down to Matthew verse 19, next verse. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, you notice that uh, Joseph is called her husband, even though they were not married yet, because betrothal was so serious that Joseph was, in effect, legally called a husband. He was a righteous man, and there's two senses of the word righteous. There's forensically righteous, which means righteous before God, as if you had never made one little tiny sin, such as Christians are forensically righteous when we, when we believe in Jesus. Well, obviously, that's not the meaning here, because Jesus hadn't done his work on the cross yet. Righteous man just meant you basically fulfill the law best way you could. And so Joseph, what we would call a good man, even though we're no good people in society, are not perfect, but we, we still call them good people. Joseph was that kind of guy. He was a righteous man, a good man. He didn't want to disgrace her. He was kind. And, and, and so he planned to send her away secretly to hide her disgrace. And his disgrace, too, by the way. But he was mainly, apparently, uh, at least according to the scripture here, it looks like he was more interested in hiding Mary's disgrace. Now... Uh, so how was he going to do that? He was going to give her a bill of divorcement, as in Exodus 24. You could give, for any indecency, uh, Moses said, you could give a bill of divorcement to protect the woman so she could prove that she was not just shacking up with somebody, that she had been put out of her house by her husband, and therefore she could legally get married again, as hard as it was in that society. All right, so now let's go to Matthew 1.20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. When he had considered this, when he had considered the fact that he was betrothed to a pregnant woman, that's what he was considering. An angel of the Lord is probably Gabriel, the same angel that announced to Mary. We don't know for sure. Angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, dreams are mentioned five times in the first two chapters of Matthew. That seems to be the common way that God communicated with his people in this critical time of redemption history. Joseph has a dream. Now, he, this dream was very helpful to him. It sounds like he was still doubting whether Mary was actually pregnant by the Holy Spirit because the angel says the child who has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. He sounds like the angel is trying to say, Joseph, don't worry now. It wasn't another man who did this. It was the Holy Spirit who did this. So she's perfectly innocent. So since she's innocent, don't be worried about what people are going to say. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Go ahead and take her because the Holy Spirit did this, not another man. And notice that when you're in the valley of indecision and you're in a horrible situation, how oftentimes God waits to the last minute and then he bails you out, gives you direction. 
doesn't do it at first because we are supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. God is not a genie in a bottle. Now, you notice that there's ambiguity here. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Does that mean that the angel said, Joseph, go ahead and continue to be betrothed with her, live with her separately, and don't have sex with her? Or does it mean take her as what we would call a legal wife, an actual wife, I'll say? It's, it's not really clear. And notice how the angel says, Joseph, son of David. He mentions this Davidic line of Joseph. Because remember, the Messiah was going to be from the house of David because of that famous prophecy. Was it Second Samuel 7? Nathan tells David that his son is going to basically be the Messiah. And so that might, there might have been a hint in here, Joseph, son of David. Uh, hey, you know, God's working his plan through you. So I know you're upset, but the plan of God's going to be worked out from this. So don't be upset anymore. Now... If Joseph had any doubt what Mary had said to him before about she was going to be conceive, going to conceive the Messiah, all doubt is gone now. He's had a vision from from an angel just like Mary had a, vi a vision. So let me read a good quote from Jameson Fawcett and Brown, the commentators, about Joseph's point of indecision here. Who would not feel for him after receiving such intelligence and before receiving any light from above? As he brooded over the matter alone in the stillness of the night, his domestic prospects darkened and his happiness blasted for life, his mind slowly making itself up to the painful step, yet planning how to do it in the way least offensive. At the last extremity, the Lord himself interposes. So this is an eloquent way of, of pointing out what a, how God helps us at the last minute. And it also indicates what a terrible situation Joseph was in. Now, you notice when the angel said that the Holy Spirit has done this, Joseph, so don't worry about it. He was vindicating Mary's reputation. And it's ironic now that Mary's reputation has been more than vindicated because now about two billion Christians on this earth know that she was not sexually immoral, not to mention all the millions and millions of Christians who have passed on and gone to heaven already. They know she wasn't sexually immoral. So uh, it's only the Jews, the rabbis, are going around saying, ah, oh, she was a slut. Okay, let's go to verse 21. Matthew 1, verse 21, quote, this is continuing quoting the angel that was speaking to Joseph. The angel says, she will bear a son, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is, is the English version of the Greek word Jesus is the translation of the Greek word which which they use for Jesus. And, it, and it's, it's, so it's Greek. And the Hebrew form is Joshua. So whenever you see Joshua, it means the Lord save. And also Hosea, according to Gil, Hosea means the Lord will save. NIV study Bible says Joshua means the Lord will save. Okay? So and whenever you see Joshua, Hosea, it mean, or Jesus, think God is going to save their people from their sins. Now, God, well, it means God saves. And, and, but God saves from what? Well, you know, a lot of times Jews will think of salvation in messianic nationalistic terms. God will save the nation of Israel. That's the way they thought. But here the angel says, for he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Now, that's individualistic sin they're getting saved from. So we should never in, uh, lose sight of the individualistic nature of salvation. It's not just national salvation. It's personal salvation from our sins. Now... The question is, uh, who's going to be saved from this sins? Because the angel tells Joseph that Jesus will save his people. Jesus will save Jesus' people from their sins. Who are Jesus' people? Well, is it all the people of the world? Obviously not, because all of the people of the world aren't saved. 
could it be the Jews? He will save the Jews from their sins? Well, the problem with that is that all Jews aren't saved. So the only possible reference that it could be is he will save his elect, the chosen, from the foundation of the world from their sins. Now, when I say that, that, that brings to mind John 17. I think John 4 has some stuff about... Well, you can look at my YouTube videos on particular atonement, limited atonement, my tulip videos, Grace Doctrines on YouTube, and I, got, I give you a whole bunch of stuff about how God the Father, God, God the Father gave the Son a group of people called the elect, called the sheep, and Jesus came down to earth to get the sheep. And so this is what it means here, that God will save his people, the elect, from their sins. Let's go to verse 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, Matthew is, you know, the Jewish-oriented gospel. He loves to talk about how Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled. The word fulfilled is used 12 times in Matthew. Now, when you talk about fulfillment of prophecy, this gives a powerful testimony to the divine origin of Scripture, especially to Jews who are familiar with the Old Testament. It, it shows how the Scripture is accurate, even in small details. This, this verse here... This fulfillment verse, all this took place to fulfill, this shows Matthew's concern for linking the gospel with the Old Testament. We should never divorce the gospel from the Old Testament. Those prophecies that are fulfilled, those are the links that tie the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. This took, all this took place, all this stuff about the conceiving, a virgin conceiving the Messiah, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Which prophet? The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 7.14 says this in a very famous verse, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, um, I'm not going to go into all of the debate over how this prophecy is fulfilled in the New Testament. Um, it's just simple enough to say right now it was fulfilled in Jesus' virgin birth. But it, books and books and books have been written on this interesting theological stuff if you want to get into that, especially when you look at the issue of how the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. So we'll just leave it right there and go to Matthew one twenty three, and this is um, Matthew quoting Isaiah, uh, and here's the quote, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's a very similar quote, the, they, the she in Isaiah, she shall call his name Emmanuel, it's changed to they shall call his name Emmanuel. It might be because Matthew was quoting from the Septuagint. I don't know. But it's essentially the same prophecy. And Emmanuel translated means God with us. Now, what does it mean, God with us? That basically means God incarnate. He came in the flesh. He is now amongst the nasty, filthy human race that God loves and wants to clean up and redeem a portion of. Um, now, the Hebrew Emmanuel had to be translated into the Greek, God with us. Now, that probably indicates that John, that Matthew was writing in Greek to Greek-speaking Jews, and he had to translate the Hebrew into Greek for them. I know there's a big scholarly debate over whether Matthew wrote in Hebrew, Aramaic, or whether he wrote in Greek. I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me, but I think he wrote in Greek because of that translated there, which translated means God with us. All right, this quotation of the Old Testament here in Matthew 1.23 is the first of at least 47 quotations in Matthew from the Old Testament, according to my NIV study Bible. And most of these quotations are messianic, talking about how the Messiah fulfills the Old Testament. So you see, Matthew is very concerned to show the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The word behold 
is a strong word. It's used to draw attention that a miraculous event is about to occur. It's uh, both in Isaiah and in the quotation in Matthew. The word behold is there. Uh, and, of course, the miracle is the virgin birth. Behold, the, the virgin shall be with a child and shall bear a son. A lot of people like to say that Greek word parthenos means young maiden. Listen, if it's and, and that and that the, a young maiden is not necessarily a virgin. Listen, in that society, a young maiden was a virgin. And besides, you would not say, "Behold, the young girl should be with child." Like in America, "Behold, the young girl's with child." That's not a miracle. It happens all the time. Everybody's so sexually immoral here. But back then, a young woman that was a virgin and she's going to be with child—that's something to say, "Behold" about. Okay, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, his name shall be called. They shall call his name Emmanuel. That does not mean that Jesus gets another name, another proper name like Jesus Emmanuel Christ. No, it just means that people will say of Jesus that he is with us. That's all it means. Now, as I said, with us means incarnate. In the flesh. Now, here's some scriptures to show. I'm going to give you two scriptures that show that Jesus is in the flesh. The incarnation. One of the most central doctrines of the Christian faith. John 1:14, And the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was not a ghost. He was a human being. He was fully God and fully human. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, amongst human beings. Remember, Emmanuel, which translated means God with us, God among us. John says that. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Timothy 3.16, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He, was, he who was revealed in the flesh. That's how we saw the Son of God. We saw him in the flesh. At least the, the apostles and the people back then saw him in the flesh. And they told us about his human life. So the God, Emmanuel, whenever you hear Emmanuel, God with us, think Jesus in the flesh. He came and became incarnate. Go to verse 24 and 25 of Matthew chapter 1. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, from his dream where he saw the angel, probably Gabriel. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. The NIV says he took Mary home as his wife, which takes away, according to the NIV, takes away the ambiguity of whether Joseph just continued being betrothed to her living apart from her, but it sounds to me like he started, went home and took her as his wife, which would turn the betrothal into a marriage, which Gil believes. And I think that's probably what it means, because that gets rid of um, Mary's shame. I mean, it's no, no shame to be married and pregnant, is it? Now, let's assume that. Let's assume he's living with her as man and wife, but, but he kept her as a virgin. Now, you know, he had the right to have sex with her, but he voluntarily kept her as a virgin. Now, why would he do that? Well, Gill speculates it's so that Isaiah's prophecy could be fulfilled properly because Isaiah said a virgin will be with a child and bear a son, which sounds like it the virginity is not only with the conception of the child but also with the deliverance of the child in childbirth. A virgin will bear a son. A virgin will be with child. There's conception. A virgin will bear a son. There's childbirth. And uh, if Joseph had had sex with Mary before the childbirth, then that means that would not, Mary would not be a virgin bearing a son. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Adam Clark says this, The virginity of Mary, previously to the birth of Christ, is an article of the utmost consequence to the Christian system, and therefore it is an article of faith. So you see, it was very... If Joseph had had sex, well, the people would say, Ah, he's just, a, he's just born just like any other baby. You know, he, so what? He's not the Messiah. 
Now, of course, you could say, well, how are people going to know he didn't have sex with her? I don't know. We just have to take that on faith. He, uh, you know, he, he told people. And it got written down here in Scripture in Matthew. Now, so she was a virgin bef during her betrothal and after her marriage and before her birth, she was a virgin. But now the Catholics so happy with the idea of virginity, they carried even further and say that after Jesus was born, she remained a virgin. And all those brothers that Jesus had weren't really brothers, they were cousins. Well, to me, this is the most preposterous thing. And, you know, the Catholics amaze me how they can get away with saying things that are so preposterous. Do we really are we going to believe that Joseph loves his wife Mary and he never has sex with her? Oh, come on. That defies, that, that defies human nature. I mean, there's a lot of Catholic priests that are single, I guess, who, who don't have sex with uh, women. Of course, there's a lot of them that have had sex with women, as we know from the history of the Middle Ages and modern American history. It's not women, it's with little boys. But there's a lot of priests who do that, who remain celibate and not be married, but they're not living in the same house with a woman. So we're really supposed to believe that Mary was a virgin after she gave Jesus. No, 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 I don't believe that for a minute. All right, let's finish up here. Joseph was obedient, kept her as a virgin, uh, he took Mary as his wife, he was obedient as far as that was concerned, and he called his name Jesus, the angel told him to call the, his name Jesus. Why? Because the, that name was of so much significance, because Jesus was going to save his people from his sins. And thus endeth our explanation and exposition of Matthew chapter 1, the last part of it, on the virgin birth of Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this audio, and I hope you listen to the next one.